0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I want to uh, welcome those who are worshiping with us online or at Pike Road and Wetumpka. And we're so glad that you're with us today. And on Westside, too, we're glad that you've joined us. So um, today we're starting a new series that imperfect does not equal unusable. God loves to use imperfect people. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say Amen. Yeah, because we are not perfect. And today, uh, we're going to start a series. We're looking at some of the great heroes of the Bible. And you will see that these people lived less than perfect lives. And God did amazing things through them anyway. So I hope today you'll be greatly encouraged that God has plans for you and me. And if you think you're not good enough and that you're not perfect, you're perfect. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump right in. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word to guide us in all matters of faith and practice. And God, we just ask that today you'd speak, that you'd move me out of the way, and you'd teach us some things from the life of Moses. Lord, he was less than perfect, by far, but you used him anyway. And God, I just pray that we'll get some real encouragement today. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you need a pen to fill in some of the blanks as we go along, you want to take some notes on this, uh, just raise your hand. Usher will bring a pen to you. Point one on your outline is simply this, that God knew Moses' past, and he chose to use him anyway. Um, Moses uh, was a little Hebrew boy that had grown up in Egypt. Uh, The Jewish people had been led by God to Egypt to avoid a great famine. They stayed there 400 years. During that time, they greatly multiplied. The Egyptians became fearful that if an enemy attacked them, the, the Israelites would switch sides, switch allegiance, and then they'd route the, uh, the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians said, we need to enslave them. And so they enslaved them for a long time, hundreds of years, and they kept trying to put heavier burdens on them to keep them from multiplying, but God blessed them, and the harder their tasks got, the more kids they had. By the time Moses came on the scene, one of the pharaohs had issued an edict that all baby boys were to be drowned in the Nile, uh, to be killed as soon as they were born. But Moses' mother, Jochebed, couldn't do that, and so she made a little boat. For Moses uh, to ride in and she allowed him to float down the river and she trusted him to God and Pharaoh's own daughter plucked him out of the river. That's what the name Moses means. It means drawn out because she drew him out of the river and uh, she plucked him out of the river and rescued him and raised him as her own son. So here one of the Hebrew boys who should have been killed ended up being raised in the palace getting a first-class education. That's where the story jumps in, and you'll see why Moses is such an interesting case study. This is from Acts 7, where Stephen is summarizing Moses' life. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. And one day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. And so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Now Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. But they didn't. So the next day, he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you're brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. He was a fugitive. Moses thought with his upbringing, I mean, his father and mother lived there in the community everybody knew his story that he had been raised in Pharaoh's own palace had all this education had all these opportunities and he thought man if i demonstrate that i love my people and i'm on their side they'll follow me but god hadn't commanded him to do that at that time he was running way ahead of god's plan and they were they rejected him and now moses realized well he'll just be wanted as a murderer and pharaoh wanted to kill him so moses ran for his life And you think, well, God must be done with him. I'm sure Moses thought he'd wasted every opportunity, but that wasn't the case at all. In fact, we'll get to that in a little bit, but here's a life application first. God chooses to use imperfect people to carry out his work. You'll see this every week as we go through this, not just in the life of Moses, but in every great hero of the Bible. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing the Corinthians, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And Paul says this is exactly what God wants. When he's going to demonstrate his grace that he can save sinners, he loves to use sinners to proclaim that, people who've been forgiven of their sins. When he wants to demonstrate that he is all powerful, even when we're weak, it's okay with him. He prefers to use imperfect people who have to rely on his power. I mean, has anybody here heard the song Amazing Grace? If you've heard the song Amazing Grace, would you raise your hand? Okay. For those of the rest of you, it's a big hit. Okay. Uh, A big Christian hit. Most popular hymn ever. Okay. If you don't know this, uh, the song Amazing Grace was written by a man named John Newton. John Newton was a guy who'd grown up in a really rough situation. His mom died when he was like seven. His, he took after his dad, became a very insubordinate, angry young man, joined up with the Royal Navy. This is, he was a contemporary of George Washington's, and um, joined up with the Royal Navy, and then uh, went AWOL. And finally, they agreed to let him leave the Navy, and he signed up on a slave ship. And they would go capture people in Africa, bring them to England and sell them in a marketplace. And these ships were putrid, and they treated people in such a horrible way that many of them died. Uh, But John Newton was making a living and just scratching by at that, and he took it. He described himself as a profane, blasphemous, wicked man. And then one night, the ship that he was on got in a terrible storm. His mom, by the way, when he was very little, had always told him about God's love for him. And what God wanted for him and told him about Christ. And he realized in this horrible storm that the ship might go down and he wasn't ready to die. And so he surrendered his life to God. Well, as time went on, a few months later or a year later, he got out of the whole slave trading business entirely and surrendered his career to the Lord and became an Anglican clergyman. He was assigned a a small church. And on Thursday nights, he would have a prayer meeting. And at these prayer meetings... When he would pray for people in his village and for their country and other things, he would get a pen out, and every week he'd write at least a short little poem that could be sung to a common tune. And uh, one of those poems was about his own life. Uh, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And he meant wretch. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And the whole thing was, he wanted to write tunes that you could sing. I mean, words that you could sing to any tune. What's so funny is, is that I read an article on this not long ago that that still holds true. "Amazing Grace" can be sung to almost any tune. And this friend of mine who sent me this article said, you can even sing it to Gilligan's Island. I mean, and he told me to try it. You know, you go, "Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me." Then a <laughs> I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, I'm not going to give you a three-hour tour here, okay? But but I will tell you that what's amazing about all this is, is that still today, that song resonates uh, with us because it proclaims God's love in a way that we all understand. That song was written by a slave trader. A man who in his own eyes was the most wicked and contemptible among men. And he said he found forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so God used John Newton to write a hymn that we all know today. And I think he would be amazed. I mean, no, no pun intended there. I think he would marvel at that. This is the way God works. He loves to demonstrate his power and to use the least likely people. And so if you're here today and you don't think you're deserving of God's love, hear loud and clear, John Newton would tell you, oh, you are wrong. His grace is amazing. He came, he sent his son to come into this world to save lost sinners. Just like you and me. And he loves to use imperfect people to tell other imperfect people about how good he is. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Yeah. Point two. God called Moses to serve him decades later in the middle of nowhere. Back to Moses' story. So he killed a guy when he's 40. Fugitive from justice. Runs off to the land of Midian. Meets a girl there. His father-in-law marries her. His father-in-law gives him a job as a shepherd. And for the next 40 years, he's tending sheep in the middle of nowhere. Probably had many occasions where he thought, Man, all that wonderful Egyptian education. Worthless. Wasted my opportunity. Never can go back to Egypt. Pharaoh wants to kill me. And then something amazing happened. We're jumping in the action again, Acts 7. Forty years later, in the desert, near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. He went to take a closer look, and the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses shook with terror and didn't dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans, and I've come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and their Savior. So if anybody asked, Well, who made you the Savior of the people to lead them out of Egypt? Moses could honestly say, God did. I'm just answering His call. Man, I hope this is an encouragement to you. If we come to you at this church and say, Hey, we'd love for you to lead a small group, and then somebody, and you started doing that, and somebody came to the group and they said, Well, who made you leader of this group? You could say, I'm just answering the call that God put on my heart. So I guess God did, and that would be true. It would be true. The eyes of the Lord, this is a life application for you and me, by the way. God knows where to find me. God knows where to find me. He knew where to find Moses in the middle of the desert. He knows where to find you and me. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. He's watching us all the time. And the reason I put this in here, if he can find Moses and give him a challenge of something he wants him to do in the middle of a desert, well, he can find you and me in the middle of a work week. Here I am, minding my own business, doing my job, and all of a sudden I notice that there is a person that I work with all the time, and one day I notice that they are at their desk at lunchtime, they didn't go anywhere for lunch, and they are crying. And I'm going, Somebody needs to go over there and say something. Oh, that would be me. And what if I did? Or maybe you're walking outside, mowing your grass, and all of a sudden there's a moving truck coming in down the street, and there's uh, people moving in. Spend a year in uh, grad school here with the Air Force. They're moving in, and you go, man, somebody in our neighborhood needs to go welcome them. Maybe it's me. Maybe there's a big need and, there's a, and your heart is really heavy about it. You don't know what to do. And it would be great if somebody organized just even a meeting where a few people would start praying about that. Well, what if that's me? i got a living room. I can pray. And that's the way it's going to come. I mean, it may not be a burning bush. It might be a moving van. It may not be a burning bush. It might be somebody crying at their desk at lunch might be an email or a phone call or just a burning desire that you need to pray. We need to pray more. John Newton started that Thursday night prayer meeting. Yeah, but he was a clergyman. Right, a clergyman who used to be a slave trader who captured people and sold them like cattle and beat them sometimes to death. He's more qualified than you and I are? He would tell you, oh, no, no, no. God saved a wretch like me. If you flip your outline over, there's another life application I to make right now. Because Moses was 80, we're never too old for God to use us. Psalm 71, verse 18. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, Lord. Uh, do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Just because my hair turns gray doesn't mean that I can't proclaim your name. Uh Uh-uh. Moses would have said, I'm done. In fact, you'll see some excuses he's about to make. He thought he was long past his usefulness. And the Lord goes, no, you're just right. You used to be this hothead jumping into things way before I told you. Forty years of shepherding softened you up a bit. Now I can use you. Oh, my goodness. You know, John Newton... The guy I told you about who wrote Amazing Grace, he lived into his early 80s, and his health was really bad the last couple of years of his life, but he would still go out and do ministry and call on people. He would still serve people as best he could, and his friends would tell him, hey, John, you've got to slow down, and here's a direct quote from him. John Newton said, I cannot stop. What? Shall the old African slave trader and blasphemer stop while he can still speak? His tongue had been used for blasphemy for decades. With every day I have left, I'm going to use it to praise the Lord. This tongue that has been used for blasphemy for decades is now going to be used to praise the Lord. Now think about this. A wretch that's been saved. And he goes, nah. Whatever breath I have left, I'm so grateful I'm going to do what I can. I'm not too old. Even when I'm old and gray, don't forsake me, God, till I declare your power to the next generation. John Newton lived that out. I want to live that out. I think you do too. Well, let's do it. Point three, God had things for Moses to do. I mean, it appeared to him in the burning bush, 80 years old, middle of nowhere. Exodus 3, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. He had a specific task for him to do. The life application for you and me is God has things for us to do too, or for me to do. You can put your own name in there. God has things for, and if you put John in there, you can put my name in there, but then you're missing the point, okay? God certainly has things for John to do. He does. He has things for Tom to do. He has things for Karen to do. He has things for everyone to do. How do I know? His word tells us. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And the minute I read that is the minute the excuses will start coming in. And that's point four. God didn't want to hear Moses' excuses. God had a plan for him. There was no doubt that God was commanding him to do this. There was a burning bush. An angel is speaking to him from the burning bush. You know, if God just appeared to me, then I'd know what to do, and then I'd do it. Mm, not necessarily. Moses didn't. And God didn't want to hear his excuses. So God is appearing in this burning bush. No doubt it's God. No doubt he has something for him to do. Send him right back to Egypt. And here are, here's a string of excuses. Exodus 3.11. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God, you know I left there 40 years ago. I've been a fugitive. Oh, God, I'm not the guy. That was was a former life. That was long ago. I can't do it. Here's another excuse, Exodus 4.1. But Moses protested again. But what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Because the Lord had been telling them, I'm going to be with you. I mean, he knew God had appeared to him, he was to him, but, but what if people don't believe me when they say, when I tell them that God sent me? But Moses pleaded with the Lord again, Exodus 4.10, Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And what's so amazing is in chapter 4 here, there's a whole lot of verses with Moses speaking, telling God how he can't speak. You ever notice that? If I can't speak well, my excuses are extremely articulate. I'm really good at telling you why I can't do something. And finally, when the Lord said, Moses, I'll put words in your mouth, Exodus 4.13, Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. And that wraps up our story on great heroes of the Bible, okay? If you ever think that the great heroes of the Bible were standing there with their cape in the wind going, I've got this, that's not what happened. Moses said, God, I can't do it. I don't speak well. I'm not the right guy. Lord, would you just please send somebody else? I'm too old. I'm not right. I want you to be greatly encouraged by this. This is the man through whom God did those extraordinary miracles, the plague of frogs, the plague of hail. This is the man who received the Ten Commandments later on the top of Mount Sinai. This is Moses. Moses. And look where he started out. And look how God used him. Life application here. God doesn't want to hear my excuses either. Again, you can put your own name in there. God doesn't want to hear John's excuses. Well, somebody else needs to go visit those people down the street. I'm not the only person living on the street. Somebody else needs to talk to that gal crying at her desk. I mean, there's lots of Kleenex here. I'm not the only one with Kleenex. I don't even have a degree in counseling. I can't lead a small group. I've never been to seminary. I mean, you understand how this works. There's always an excuse. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. Proverbs 24, 12. The context here is if somebody is being um, executed unfairly, but it applies to anything. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He guards your soul. He who guards your soul knows you knew. Well, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, you did. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And God really doesn't want to hear our excuses. I learned this when I talk about this being available for God to use. Where this really came to play in my life is when I first started, and my first ministry job was to high school kids um, in the city of Houston. I'd taken a job with uh, Young Life, a ministry to Uh, An outreach ministry to high school students. And um, Debbie and I had just gotten married. I had left an engineering job. I had volunteered with Young Life for a little while, and then left an engineering job and um, started with Young Life. Well, I didn't know how to do outreach ministry to high school students. I mean, my thermodynamics class at Kansas State never prepared me for that, okay? It didn't help me. So I'm talking to the man who trained me, regional director there of Young Life, and he was telling me, he goes, Well, John, Here's the way you start. If you want to get to know people at a school and want to get to know how you can reach out to people, just pray that God will give you an opportunity to serve. And so we prayed together, and he said, I want you to go out and start talking to people there on their staff, the coaches, other people, and see if there's a need you can fill. And we'll just ask God to show you what to do. Well, I went around and talked, and sure enough, the um, football coach needed somebody to videotape their games on Friday nights. And so I went back and told him, well, I found a need. He goes, well, then you ought to do that. I'm never. Run, I'm no videographer, and, and I played football in high school, but I don't know that much about football, and I don't know this. He goes, John, quit making excuses. Just go do it. That's a wide open door. It's a need to have. You want to reach out to people? Go do it. Okay. So I go out to the uh, football stadium uh, when they have a game, and they give me the camera equipment. And I tell them, okay, so where do I stand with this? And they point. In Houston, they played in these community stadiums that see. 15,000 people. So I was way on top of this stadium. The team was way down on the field, and the only person that I had any contact with was a guy from the other team who was filming their game, you know, filming their team. I'm going, oh man, I'm doing this to build relationships with high school students, and now I'm stuck on top of a stadium. This is totally stupid. So I filmed the whole game, and I have the attitude that I'm projecting right now. Okay. I'm going, I'm a moron. This was such a dumb idea. I'm never going to get to know anybody doing this. So I pack up all the camera equipment, take it down, bring it back to the coach and all these things. And I'm about to tell him, hey, I tried this. I really don't want to do this. This isn't going to help me get to do anything anything toward my goals. And he said, well, hey, thanks for filming that. I hope you can film again. By the way, did you notice anything we can improve on? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, you're the outside linebacker on the left side. I mean, he's continually out of position. He should be over here. And then the tackle on the right side, if you would move him in a little bit, he could be a lot more effective because he always rolls to his left or something like this. And I just made a few observations like this, and the coach went, you saw all that from up there? I went, oh, yeah. And I even pulled out the camera and rewound part. See, he's doing it right here. And he goes, oh, man, that's great. Hey, we're breaking down the film tomorrow, me and the other coaches. You want to come join us? We'd love to get your input. So I went to this film meeting, and I told them what I saw, and they went, hey, this is great. We'd love it if you'd film and join us every week. Can you join us every week? I went, I guess so. And they go, hey, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm in ministry. I'm reaching out to these kids. And they go, oh, well, then could you be our team chaplain? I mean, you could ride the bus. You could do a devotional with these kids every week. And then later on, I told some people, I mean, it it set up our ministry amazingly. And they said, how'd you do that? And I go, well, it was all part of my master plan. Um, I didn't have a clue. All I did was listen To the guy who told me, pray that God will give you an opportunity and stop making excuses when he opens the door. Now look, that's not just good advice for me. That's good advice for you. When you see that person crying, the neighbor moving in, the opportunity to serve at a food pantry, meals on wheels. Why would we pass that up? No excuses. Point five, God supplied everything Moses needed to fulfill his mission. God not only called him, he equipped him. I mean, it was just like when God gave me the opportunity, he gave me every opportunity. All I needed to do was walk through the door. Gave you all of Moses' excuses. Here are God's answers to his excuses. God answered, I'll be with you. I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. Moses has been saying, well, what if he doesn't listen? He goes, well, I know he won't listen. So I'll raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them, and then at last he'll let you go. Moses had been saying, What if the people don't believe me? And then the Lord, and that was the first one was Exodus 3, here's Exodus 4. Well, then the Lord asked him, What's that in your hand? Well, it's a shepherd's staff, it's a stick he'd been carrying around for 40 years. Moses replied, Throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back, and then the Lord told him, Reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, turned it back, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. You perform this sign, the Lord told him, they'll believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, God, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. They'll believe. Exodus 4. Moses has been talking about I don't speak well, and God told him I'll put words in your mouth, and he still argued and told him to send somebody else. Finally, the Lord, then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you right now. He'll be delighted to see you. Talk to him. Put the words in his mouth. I'll be with both of you as you speak, and I'll instruct you both in what to do. Now go. So two quick life applications. God will supply everything we need to serve him. What if I don't know what to say when I go greet that new neighbor? Just go. God will give you the right words. He'll show you what to say. If he's calling you to do it, go. This same God who takes care of me, Paul said the same thing, Philippians 4.19, he'll supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your needs. He supplies all mine. Paul said it with confidence, and Moses would echo that. Yeah, I wasn't willing to go, but the Lord took care of everything. One final life application, God wants us to depend on him. I mean, God isn't doing this so we can do this without him. He's putting us in situations where we have to depend on him. He loves it when we pray. He loves it when we need his help and his wisdom. He wants to do amazing things through us. My grace is all you need, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My power works best in weakness. Paul was saying he had a thorn in the flesh that he asked the Lord to take away from him. And the Lord said, no, Paul, I'm not going to take it away from you because my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And Paul said, well, when the Lord told me that, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. He wasn't doing it in his own strength. He was doing it because the Lord told him to do it and gave him the power to get it done. So the reason we're looking at Moses today as a less than perfect person is, is that we're less than perfect people. God had things for Moses to do. He has things for us to do. He doesn't want our excuses. He just wants us to go. And he'll supply our needs. And he wants us to depend on him for that. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we are less than perfect people, but that does not mean we're unusable. That means we are perfect to demonstrate your grace and your power. Because we are powerless, we can demonstrate that you are powerful. Because we're not very bright at times. It proves how wise you are. Because we are flawed people who miss opportunities in the past. That's why you give us a new day today and another day tomorrow. I pray, Lord, that we would not get discouraged. And if we can say a kind word, we'd do it. If we can reconcile some friends today, I pray that we'd, we'd do it and just trust. I don't know what to say, but I hate it when they fight. If we'd see a neighbor moving in down the street, we'd be the one to go introduce ourselves. You love it when we're hospitable and kind. You love it when we're peacemakers. You love it when we just trust you. Thanks for hearing our prayers today. Thanks for using imperfect people. Thank you for your amazing grace and even using an imperfect person like Moses, an imperfect person like John Newton, an imperfect person like me. In the name of Christ we pray these things. Amen.